Good morning. Peace be with you. Okay, good. I'm glad y'all do that because I didn't know if that was just a soldier Montrose thing or if that was a whole sojourn thing. So I'm glad to hear that. And also, uh, Merry Christmas. So uh, yeah, my name's Chase Woodhouse. Uh, I'm a church planning resident here at Sojourn Houston. Uh, we're based right now at Sojourn Montrose. Um, I have my wife here today, Rachel. Um, we have two little girls, uh, Selah and Joy. And then we're pregnant with our third, who happens to be a boy this time. So there we go. Uh, and then we are hoping to eventually plant a Sojourn church in Southwest Houston. Um, if you don't know anything about Southwest Houston, it's not really a great destination spot. Um, but what it is, is it is a community that is insanely diverse, international, multi-ethnic, um, very different economic statuses in Southwest Houston. And so what we hope to do one day is plant a Sojourn church there um, where we can proclaim the gospel to people who have either heard it before or for some of them have never heard the gospel and then we hope to plant a church in that community that eventually may even have a global impact. Maybe somebody who becomes a believer in this community goes back home and gets to share the gospel with their family and friends and their community. And so it's a really unique opportunity in Houston to plant a church for the glory of God throughout the world. Uh, and, and like uh, Drew said, we are doing a little bit of fundraising. And so if you are interested in learning more about what we're doing and partnering with us financially, uh, come speak to me afterwards. And I do have to say this too. Uh, I am legally deaf, and that's very important for you to know kind of right off the bat. Uh, I've had many people kind of think I'm a jerk because uh, I didn't hear. And it's just what happens when for a while I didn't have a cochlear implant. We'll talk about that later. But um but I just want you to know, if I don't hear you, I'm not being rude. I'm just deaf. Um, so today is the third Sunday of Advent. The word Advent just means arrival or coming. This is a season for reflecting upon and repenting of our sins in preparation for Christmas. Even as we deck the halls with lights and decorations and joyful music, the church has traditionally seen fit to spend a few weeks in sober contemplation of the full meaning of the coming of Christ. Why is, he, why is his coming such good news? Why did we need him to come in the first place? We are here to feel the weight of the darkness in our hearts and in our world, which serves to increase our sense of longing as we anticipate the coming of our Savior. And before we dive in, can I just pray for us this morning? Father, we come before you and we thank you for this time to gather together to worship you. Father, we pray that you would speak to us today that you would comfort our souls, that you would convict us of wrong, and that you would cause us to rejoice in the good news that Jesus has come, died, and risen from the dead. Father, I pray that you would speak through me this morning, and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the Christmas hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, is actually one of my uh, favorite Christmas songs. Uh, but it wasn't until a couple of years ago I actually started to learn the words, uh, which is funny because we're singing this after the sermon. But in, in that song, um, we're singing as if we're kind of in the Old Testament time awaiting on the Messiah to come. But we're singing the lyrics, and the lyrics have more of a New Testament theology. It's been informed by post-Jesus theology rather than pre. Here's, here's the first part. Come thou long, I'm not going to sing it by the way. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire, 
of every nation, joy of every longing heart. This song is informed by the New Testament theology and Jesus' death and resurrection. But to the people in this text who have waited for the Messiah, they didn't really know what to expect. They didn't know if Jesus was going to be a conquering king, a suffering servant. They weren't really sure what he was going to do. And this text today is an example of that struggle, of that wrestling with expectation of who is the Messiah and what is he going to do. And so this morning, uh, I hope that we can begin to wrestle with our own expectations of Jesus and humbly lay them at his feet, knowing that he is king and we are not. And so first we're going to look at John. Last week we talked about, uh, y'all talked about Luke chapter 3. And John has this very bold ministry of proclaiming the truth of the Lord, right? He is preparing the way for the Messiah by calling people to repentance. He's calling them to repentance and telling them that it doesn't matter if their father is Abraham. It doesn't matter if they're Jewish or not. They should repent of their sins and be ready for the Messiah. John preached that the axe was at the tree's root for any tree not bearing fruit. He preached that the Messiah was going to gather the wheat and cast out the chaff. And then as John is preaching this bold ministry and the people's hearts are stirred or sometimes hardened to the truth, he then goes and preaches to Herod. And tells Herod to repent of his sins. And of course, Herod, being a leader and kind of a jerk, doesn't like that. So he throws John in prison. And while this is happening, Jesus' ministry is really uh, rising. He is going out and he is proclaiming the word of the Lord. He is declaring the good news of the kingdom of God. He is healing people left and right. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Demons are cast out, and they know who he is, and they can do nothing against him. And just in the chapter before, Jesus literally raises a dude that had been dead for four days and causes him to come back to life. Jesus' ministry is rising, and John in prison hears about it. But his response is really strange, and not what we expect of John, who is the bold prophet who is going to proclaim the good news of the Lord. What does John do? John begins to doubt and wonder, is this really the one who is to come? Is Jesus really the Messiah? John was actually probably the second person to know that Jesus was the Messiah, right? You have Mary, and then even inside of uh, Elizabeth's womb, John is stirred, and he sees, when he sees Mary, although he doesn't see her, you know what I'm talking about. And he, he sees Jesus and his heart is stirred. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah. So why is he doubting? Why is he going through a hard time? I found that there are maybe two reasons why. We don't really know why because the scripture doesn't tell us and who knows the heart of man but God alone. But there are maybe two reasons why John is struggling so much. The first is that maybe John just feels down. He has been boldly preaching. He has been proclaiming the good news of the Lord. And now he's in prison and he knows that he is likely to die. 
He knows that he will not be able to walk in the streets again. He knows that he will not be able to proclaim. And maybe what's happening is he is just down. Life has kicked him And what he needs is not really another confirmation that Jesus really is the Messiah because he knows. But rather just a word that, yes, I am going to make all things new. Maybe he wants Jesus to speak to him and just say, yes, I am he. And I think you and I can relate to this. Life sometimes comes and just kicks us. Puts us down. And we, we plead with God to help. We ask him to come and deliver us. We ask him to move in our lives. And sometimes it seems like he's not hearing. I think we can really relate to John here. So that's one possible reason why John's having a hard time. But the second, and I think that maybe the more likely explanation, maybe, is that maybe John was expecting Jesus to do something different. If you look at Luke 3, he is preaching this, this message of repentance and preaching that there's going to be a separation. So maybe what John is expecting is that maybe the kingdom would come right then and there. Rome would be overthrown. The people of God gathered into Jerusalem safely. And then, therefore, John may even be able to get free. So maybe what John is actually feeling is not just discouragement, but more so of, hey, What's going on? I believe that you are the one who is to come, but, but you're not doing what I thought you would. And again, this is very relatable for us in this room, especially for me. When I was 11 years old, uh, I actually started losing my hearing when I was about nine for no, I don't know why. But uh, when I was 11 or 12, the hearing just plummeted and it got really, really bad. And uh, I remember I was a believer at the time and I was really wrestling with How can this happen to me? Jesus loves me. How can I go through a hard time? What is he doing? But then at the same time, I was also reading the scriptures and seeing like, hey, he heals deaf people. That's me. So I'm going to ask him to heal me. And for a year, I was praying and asking the Lord to heal me, to bring back my hearing. And I went back and I did not get healed. And in fact, later in life, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. But in that moment, in the audiologist's room, the peace that surpasses all understanding came. There was a flood of peace. Not that my expectations of being healed were met, but rather that Jesus is good and that he is going to allow this to happen to me for my good and his glory, and it's okay. He saw me, he heard me, and he loved me, but he wasn't going to fix it. And I think that's maybe what John's going through right now. Just a struggle of unmet expectations. And so what does he do? He goes to Jesus, but of course he actually can't. He's in prison. So he sends two disciples to go to Jesus. And just a sidebar here. These disciples are a great example for us here in this room if you are a follower of Jesus. Because they see their brother struggling, doubting, wrestling. And what do they do? They take him to Jesus. They take him to Jesus and ask him to help. When we see a brother and sister in this room 
maybe not even brother or sister, someone in this room or out there struggling, let us take them to Jesus, open the roof, lay them down at the feet of Jesus like the paralyzed man and say, hey, Jesus, please, will you heal? Will you come? These disciples are a great example to us. But they go to Jesus and they're seeing the miracles that Jesus is doing. They see all that he is doing, and then they ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? And Jesus, of course, doesn't just give a simple yes or no answer, but the answer he gives is a resounding yes. He says this, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame Walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is a resounding yes because John, sorry, excuse me, Jesus is pointing back to prophecies in Isaiah that talk about when the coming of the Lord happens, when the Messiah comes, it will be paired with miracles like this. The blind will receive sight, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk, and the good news will be preached. The coming of the Lord is paired with a good message and good miracles. And so Jesus is telling John, yeah, I'm he. I am the one who was to come. Don't be discouraged. And so maybe if John is just wanting to hear, as he's facing death, one more good reminder that Jesus is who he says he is, and he really is making all things new. This is the message for John. I am making all things new, Jesus says. Or if John is really discouraged and wondering, Jesus, you're not meeting my expectations here. Jesus doesn't say, hey, get it together. You're not supposed to be dealing with this. Just trust me. That's how I would respond. But no, Jesus in his grace and love comes and says, I am he, John, but I'm not doing what you expected. But blessed are you if you're not ashamed of me. He tells John, essentially, hold on. I am making all things new. You may not understand what I'm doing. Your expectations may not be met. But I am the one who is to come. And this is such a great encouragement for us in this room. If you are going through a hard time right now and you wonder if Jesus hears you, if you are going through a hard time and feel discouraged because of unmet expectations, you thought maybe Jesus would bring the spouse that you wanted or he would heal your child or he would give you this job or whatever else. Those are not bad things. But Jesus is the Lord. And he makes all things out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So hold fast. Don't be ashamed. He will come. He will deliver. But we don't just see John dealing with expectations here. We also see the Pharisees and the scribes, the lawyers. I want to read this passage um, to you, starting in verse 30. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. And then Jesus says, To what should I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a lament, but you did not weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating 
bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. You see, the Pharisees are also wrestling with their expectations of what the Messiah would be. And I think we can clearly see what their expectations are. Let me unpack it for you. First, with John, they don't like John's teaching at all. Because John calls them a brood of vipers and calls them to repentance. Plus, John just looks a little weird. Wearing camel hair, eating locusts and honey. Like, the dude's just weird. Right? So the easy answer for them, they don't like his message, and the dude looks weird, is this guy obviously has got a demon. So they reject John's message, and then Jesus comes along, and Jesus is normal. He's not anything crazy and out there. He's definitely not the best-looking person out there. I know that sounds bad, but that's what the Scriptures say. Right? He's just nothing to really look at. Um, but he is the friend of tax collectors and sinners, and he eats with them, and he drinks with them, and he fellowships with them. And so they reject him. I think the reason why they are rejecting John and Jesus is because they expected the Messiah to come and the prophet to come and to clap for them. Good job. You guys are doing awesome. Come join me. Come be in what I'm doing. You guys are are up there. They expected Jesus almost to come and bend the knee to them and to say, you're good. You got it going on. When Jesus says that, that they are like children sitting in the marketplace saying, we played a flute for you, but you didn't dance. I think that might be for John. John's message is bold and full of repentance and telling them to repent. And they're like, hey, man, we're good. You should be, like, praising us. What are you doing right now? And then for the song of lament, I think they might be feeling like Jesus should be lamenting over the poor and those people out there and, and praising him. But overall, what can be said here is that the Pharisees are having a hard time because they really think that Jesus was supposed to come and affirm who they are and what they believe. The problem is that this is still something that we do today. We look at the Pharisees and we think, man, how do they just, how are their hearts so unprepared for Jesus? The problem is, again, that you and I can do this as well. Maybe you feel like Jesus should affirm everything that you affirm, love everything that you love, and be so inclusive that everybody comes in. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way. Or maybe you are struggling with, hey man, I don't like these people. I don't think they should come in. Maybe you're judgmental. And you think, Jesus, no, you can't let them in. You can't eat with them. You can't associate with them. They can't come into this room. Both are likely and both are dangerous. And the ultimate problem is that you are essentially believing that your standard of justice and faith and goodness and morality is right. And that you don't have to bend the knee to King Jesus. You're comfortable being on the throne of your life and Jesus is saying, no, I'm supposed to be there. And this is a warning for us all. That if we don't prepare our hearts to receive whatever Jesus might have for us, 
were in danger of missing him. But Jesus also preaches the good news to them. He warns them, but he does give them a little nugget of the gospel. When Jesus starts to affirm who John the Baptist is and was in his ministry, that John really was the one who is going to come and prepare the way of the Lord, he also confirms that he is the Messiah. He tells them, I am the Messiah. He tells the people this. And then he praises John. He says, John is the greatest prophet, the greatest man born of a woman. This should put the Pharisees and scribes and us in this room on notice. We can't be greater than John in our own strength. But then notice Jesus says, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. How? How is that possible? The least in the kingdom is greater than John because when the least in the kingdom comes to Jesus and says, I need you, please save me, forgive me, I give you my life, Jesus then clothes them in his righteousness, in his goodness. He takes them out of the dominion of darkness and places them into the kingdom of light. He takes them from being um, evil, uh, what's the word, enemies of God. And makes them sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, now anyone who comes to Jesus, broken, tired, weary, and they come to him and say, I need you. He does the great exchange and takes off their sins because he became their sin and gives them the righteousness that is his. How Can the least in the kingdom be greater than John the Baptist? Because it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus. And if the Pharisees and scribes could just hear this, if they could accept that they're broken and hear the good news that Jesus came for the broken, then they might have freedom but they don't. And so I want to end this morning by encouraging us again. We all have expectations of Jesus. Some are good, some aren't. But we all must come to him, bend the knee and say, Jesus, help. And here's the thing. Your expectations may not be met, but Jesus will always exceed your expectations. If you come to him in humility, And in faith, he will always exceed your expectations. So as we sing, come thou long expected Jesus, knowing that the New Testament reality is true. Let's worship because Jesus has gone beyond our wildest expectations. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we're so grateful that you are gracious, that you are kind that you are merciful, that you are loving. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for the ways that we have placed our own selves on the throne of our life, and we ask that you would take us off that throne and that you would be our king. We humbly come and submit our lives to you and ask that you would be with us and show us that you are good. 
Father, I pray for anyone in this room who may not know you, who may not have come and given their life to you. Father, I pray that that this text would show them the goodness of who you are. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.